As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is Episode 9 of the Bowery Boys, Nolita Scorsese and Old St. Pat's. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Bowery Boys. I'm Tom Myers. And I'm Greg Young. And this is part 2 of this week's series, Angels and Demons. You... Our last episode was Rosemary's Baby and the Dakota Apartments. That was the demon section. Right. And tonight we have the good fortune of presenting the angelic portion, which is a focus on St. Patrick's Old Cathedral in Little Italy. Now, this may not strike you as the most dynamic subject for a podcast, but (laughs) sit back and you're going to hear some very interesting things about this very old building. Uh, and some surprising things with some characters you've heard of and uh, incorporating a lot of different historical events. And I really think that, you know, choosing St. Patrick's Old Cathedral really proves our point that you can take basically any part of New York City, any building, and, and there's a story behind it that is fascinating. That ties in with all these other places. You're gonna, I mean, you're going to hear names and places that we've already talked about in other podcasts. Right. Looking at St. Patrick's is really looking back at the last 200 years of New York City. And some of the questions we're going to answer for you is, mm. what notable group is buried in the cemetery? Oh, those brick walls that wrap around St. Patrick's? Mm-hmm. We know them. Why are they graffiti-free? And who are the Hibernians. Stay tuned. Well, before we jump into the cathedral, I need to explain to everyone what the sort of modern context is for this place. It is now in a neighborhood called Nolita. Nolita. No, now people who live here know this name, but actually, probably if you don't, if you don't live in and New York, people probably laugh about this name too. Yeah, people who live in the neighborhood call it Little Italy or the Bowery or Soho or but Nolita. Chinatown. What is what is Nolita? Nolita is a made up name. It's not like there was a. A, like an old Dutch person from, you know, from way back like yonder. Hans Nolita. Yes, who came and he, he didn't just find the march line and said, I shall call this land Nolita. <laughs> That's not, in fact. In fact, it might be one of the only districts, maybe in any city in the world, that was actually named by an ad executive. Nolita stands for... Drum roll, please. N, you know, N-O, North, mm-hmm. L, Little, I-T-A, Italy. Mm. So it is what... 
Well, it's kind of like Tribeca, right? It's a port. They call them portmanteaus. These words of just like when you take letters of the description and put them all and make a new word. Right. So, but basically, it's just created for you know for real estate investors to bring in sort of people with money. Where did this ad appear? It was in the Village Voice in the '90s. Well, that's how it's been traced. I mean, it was probably tossed around. You know, real estate. So before the the 1990s, 1990s, nobody said no Lita. No, they said it's Little Italy. I mean, well, it it is Little. It is. It's just. It's basically Little Italy with. Fewer Italians, but it's basically Little Italy. So the Italians left, and it became Nolita. Yeah, so Nolita, and now it has a bunch of like boutiques and shoe shops and bars and everything. Overpriced cafes. Yes, but but it's brilliant. I mean, it's lovely to walk through, and and we should say that St. Patrick's is situated. Um, on Prince Street. And it, so it's in the middle of this kind of shallow neighborhood. Well, should we, can we just call it Little Italy for the... For the <laughs> sure, of course. Yes, we can. The course of tonight's podcast. So anyway, I mean, I, I'm always struck by walking by this by this place because it's, it's, it looks a little out of place from all the other things that are around it. But it's a, it's a strange sort of church. It has a sort of flat facade to it. But then surrounding it, which just always gives me the chills, is this red brick wall and behind it are these cemeteries and you but you can't see the cemeteries but they're these big thick black iron doors i swear to god every time i walk by one i'm i just zombies are just going to burst from the doors oh. and go and attack people in the shoe stores the john fluvog and all the little diners and everything. exactly so but what mm. but you were just there today so you've well, I was, got yeah. done a little digging D- i well digging perhaps is the wrong <laughs> word but i um i i was there i went over my lunch break and was really happy actually to find that the doors of the cathedral were open mm-hmm. as a matter of fact and so just to situate the listener we're on Prince Street between Mulberry and Mott. So if you're on Mulberry Street, you can't get in. But if you enter from Mott Street, you can walk right in. Uh, there's a wrought iron fence that opens up onto the cathedral. There, there is this brick, gorgeous wall around it. And it's, I find it gorgeous because on the Prince Street side, it's wavy. I mean, this is a unintentionally wavy wall. Because uh, it's so old, right? Right, it's so old. And on the inside, you see that it's actually being held up by by pieces of wood. There's a cemetery on that side. Mm-hmm. And then when you go inside, it's just this, it's a, a startlingly simple facade, I'd say. It takes almost the entire area up between Mott and Mulberry. Under the church, actually, itself, is mm-hmm. a crypt as well. So there's, there's a lot of, there are a lot of bodies <laughs> in, on, in and around this area. Uh, inside the the inner vault of the sanctuary actually goes up 85 feet. It's mm-hmm. it's tall. It's impressive. It's lined with gorgeous stained glass windows. Oh, are these? Oh, these aren't the windows. Actually, you know, I just read something about when the church was created and built that the King of France, when mm-hmm. it was 1815, I believe, it was when the church was was constructed. Right. King of France donated some stained glass windows to put in this nice new cathedral, oh. but they were the wrong size. So they ended up they ended up going to the Bronx in a in a church that is now actually part of Fordham University. Oh wow. True story. So I didn't see the French windows, but right. I did see some beautiful st- stained glass windows. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in actually today and anybody else, well today's a Thursday, um if you happen to be down there over your lunch break, they might be practicing the organ. That organ is an 1868 Henry Urban pipe organ, big designer, big manufacturer of pipe organs. Uh and it was really great. It was a little bit creepy. But it was, it was beautiful and a great way to spend lunch break. I'd say. On April 19, 1995, a federal building in Oklahoma City was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack. 
Just days after the bombing, America discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist Timothy McVeigh, whose mindset and values are still very present today. It's an American tragedy, but one I still remember very vividly. But there is so much more to the story than what you might remember. Take a deeper look into this moment of history with the podcast Homegrown OKC, hosted by Jeffrey Tubin and based on his book. The Homegrown OKC podcast is about better understanding the political environment in our country today. In particular, I found fascinating all the original archival footage used in the show, sounds which brought me back to that time, but with a richer understanding of events. These episodes were thrilling to listen to. That's Homegrown OKC. To listen, search for Homegrown OKC in your podcast app. That's Homegrown OKC. So what did you find out in terms of some highlights of its history? I've digged up a little bit. I'm sure you did too. Yeah, I looked back on the on the story of it. I mean, if we, if we flash back, because as you said, it was built in the early 1800s, between 1809 and 1815. It was actually the second Catholic church in the USA mm-hmm. and, and New York City's first cathedral. Um, and the architect was actually Joseph Mangan, who was a co-architect of City Hall at that time. And d- during these early days, it was primarily serving an Irish population, because and, as you know. Right. But in a, in a time when being Catholic was not actually the most popular thing to be in the United States. Or, or Irish. America, or Irish. <laughs> For that matter, yeah. So like in the 30s, in fact, I mean, there was just this anti-Catholic buildup that it, it actually kind of came to a head, right? Because these Catholics were, for the most part, the new immigrants in, in the mostly Protestant colony. And they would take about any job that came along because they were eager for work. Right. Of course, then they became scapegoats mm-hmm. uh, and had some very popular uprisings against them. So apparently it all came to a head in like 1835, I believe. Yeah. And they came towards – everyone came towards the church basically to destroy it. I think they even uh, knocked out the windows. Right. They threatened to burn it down. But uh, the Irish kind of came to the rescue of the church and that's where the Hypernians come in. Ooh. The Hypernians are actually kind of like an Irish Catholic Freemason, a fraternal group, if you will. Their headquarters were right across the street. So they actually came and protected the building. They actually knocked out some of the bricks on the on that famous little brick wall and to put their muskets and whatever to to protect it. And the women and children came I and mean, just every the whole community came to protect the church. The Hypernians, by the way, are still the ones who organized the St. Patrick's Day Parade. But the Hibernians aren't the ones buried in the cemetery. No, that actually you'll have to turn to the Civil War and the Fighting uh, 69th Regiment, of, I believe you... Right, of with. course. This was the... the well, that, that regiment included the quote-unquote Irish Brigade, mm-hmm. which was made up mostly of um, members from New York of this congregation. Of that, yeah, of that church. And they, they did march off um, into the Civil War and into the battle that would become known as the Battle of Bull Run. Remarkably, this this same regiment was according to historians, the only regiment that would not flee during the Battle of Bull Run. And though they were heroic, they also were were pretty much wiped out. <laughs> yeah. 75% of them, in fact, from this Irish brigade did die and are buried there. Wow, so um, really? In the cemetery. So yeah. like most of the, of, wow, that's incredible. Many, many of mm-hmm. the graves surrounding St. Pat's, right, are, <laughs> are members of that. Now, at the same time, or actually a little bit before, but the Civil War does come into play here, around 1850, mm-hmm. the Archbishop at the time actually decided to build a new St. 
Patrick's Cathedral. Ah, the yes. one that we know now, the one that's in Midtown. Uh, moving on up. In 1850, just because, you know, people were moving up in that up that way. Well, and they needed more space, too. Because it, it's an obviously bigger church. Right. Now, it took 29 years for them to build it, though, partially because 29. of the Civil, the Civil War. It just, they didn't build anything during the Civil War. And then it's just, it's such a big, massive building. It's, you know, in that 29 years, the cathedral actually burned down. Right. I believe that was in 1866. So mm-hmm. they were 16 years into this thing, and the old church burns down. They're not finished. Right. So what do they do? So there were no, yeah, there was no, there was no St. Patrick's for two years. So they decided to build it and restore it. And then two years later, in 1868, it was rebuilt. But it's also, that accounts for its kind of plainness. The simplicity. Well, it lost its, when, of course, the... St. Patrick's did open. It lost its uh, seat of archdiocese and actually just became a normal parish for the neighborhood. So right now, even if we say the, the old St. Patrick's Cathedral, mm-hmm. it's not a cathedral. It's a church. It's a, it's a church, but they, it's honorific to call it a cathedral. After the Civil War, there was still you know a heavily Irish contingent in the church. However, with immigrants coming in, as you can tell from the neighborhood, it was a lot of Italian immigrants. They would have services on, on holidays and special days in the basement. Uh, Were they not allowed? And Well, I guess it was just an Italian in the basement. It was Yeah, it was just Italians in the basement and Irish in the, the upstairs. But what happened is they sort of slowly took over the church. And so by 1909, there were like over 2,000 Italian children in the St. Patrick's School. Right, which is just across the street right. on Prince Street. So, I mean, it, so basically the Italians moved in, the Irish moved out, and history is is made. And so now today it's a huge mix of like, I mean, everyone, Irish, Italian, Chinese, Latinos. Hipsters. Hipsters. You no Latins. <laughs> no Latins. The church actually is known kind of in the popular imagination for a couple of reasons. It, it's appeared in several films. It's appeared in several films. It appeared in Martin Scorsese's Mean Streets. Actually, the cemetery was used. Now, why? Why? Did you ask? Martin Scorsese actually went to the church when he was a kid, and he lived in Little Italy, and actually was a, um, an altar boy. An altar boy. Wow. Correct. I know. Isn't that crazy? And so he actually suggested to his friend, Francis Ford Coppola, hey, you need a church? Why don't you, f- and for your new movie, The Godfather, why don't you film it? Oh. And so, so the last pivotal scene during the christening is of the Godfather is set inside, and it is it actually filmed inside? I mean, we knew from our last pa- podcast that nobody could get inside the Dakota. But oh yes, it sounds this like- is def- this is definitely inside. It's very very no- noticeable. It's also in Godfather Three, but who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but well, that brings us pretty much to the end of the podcast. But what about this graffiti? We haven't really. Well, answer that question. If you if you walk by it today, there is no graffiti on these walls, and it's really really strange. Well, it's beautiful, and I just kind of thought that maybe they removed the graffiti. Well, or? in two thousand three, there was a big problem with graffiti, like being written all over these all over the walls. I mean, it's a it's a blank wall. It's like begging for people to spray paint on it. The reverend at the time, his name was um, Thomas Colmandy, actually decided to do something about it, and it's very odd that this worked. He just wrote polite little letters. And he hung them on the walls and basically said to the effect, could you please not spray paint on our walls? These are very sacred to us. I mean, it worked. I mean, I, mean, I might say this and tomorrow someone goes and spray paints it, but I, I haven't seen spray paint on But we walls. know that none of our podcast listeners would go out. Never, of course. <laughs> 
Well, anyway, so that's St. Patrick's. Wow, that is a fascinating story. And thank you all for tuning in. I hope you guys have checked out our website, BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Greg does a wonderful job of updating it a couple times a day with fascinating stories that tie into this podcast and also things that are happening in the city. All sorts of other little fun little series that we do. I mean, it's 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 fun. I think it's a fun way to look at history. So, And we'd also like to thank you for the reviews that people have written so far. And if you haven't yet written a review uh, on iTunes, you can just go to our page on iTunes and click write a review. We really appreciate it. We really do. And your listenership is, is always appreciated. Anyway, come back next week because the Bowery Boys are going to the zoo, Central Park Zoo, and the Central Park Escape of 1874. What could that possibly be? Tune in next week. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not. See you next week. Remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.